Before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a minute and uh, shout out our buds over at Iodine Recordings. Because February 9th of this year will mark 30 years since the release of one of the quintessential post-hardcore records, that being Slip by the band Quicksand. And to celebrate that, Iodine is releasing the 30th anniversary vinyl in three different pressings, all mastered for vinyl from the original 1993 masters and uh, featuring the bonus track, How Soon Is Now. The standard edition comes in, you know, your standard jacket with updated artwork. The limited deluxe gatefold edition includes a gold foil embossed slipcase, a gatefold jacket, and a bonus triple gatefold poster, which features several never-seen-before photographs, rare show flyers, and commentary from Sam Siegler from Youth of Today, Judge and Rival Schools, Drew Thomas from Into Another, and Bold, Jordan Cooper from Revelation Records, and Kate Reddy. 108. The uh, limited edition deluxe LP and 64-page hardcover book, this is incredible. It chronicles the release of this influential album, includes a foreword by Walter Schreifels himself, never-before-seen photographs, original art, rare concert posters, show flyers, and more. Written contributions from members of Anthrax, Helmet, Sepultura, Thursday, Rise Against, Refused, Youth of Today, Thrice, Agnostic Front, Snapcase, Earth Crisis, Cave-In, and many more, believe it or not. Uh, complete with a case-wrapped, soft-touch cover, a must-have edition for any fan's collection. Presented on a yellow and red swirl vinyl limited to only 2,000 copies, uh, the limited edition deluxe uh, LP with the 64-page book, that is, uh, with foil-stamped numbering for each and every one of them. The release date for this monster release is March 31st, but you can pre-order it now at iodinerecords.com or follow them over on Instagram at iodinerecordings. You don't want to miss out on this one. It's massive, so go get it. And now, let's get on with the episode. I think every podcast we've ever recorded has started with me (laughs) saying, I don't know how to do this. Well, we'll get it sometime. Doesn't sometime. it take that? Don't you have to do something like for 10,000 hours to perfect it? So yeah, we're maybe. like four hours shy of that, so we'll get it uh, <laughs> next month. I'm just convinced that it's moved every time. That's all. <laughs> every time I sit down at the computer, I'm like, oh, the the recording option has moved. I don't know where it is now. It's up and gone. Well, they got to keep us uh, keep us on our toes. We do too many Zoom calls, and life gets yeah. boring. This is true. Well, welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. Of course, my friend is Aaron. Hello, sir. Hey, Aaron. I'm here, and I'm ready to party. You're here, and uh, I was I, don't, I was going to try and rhyme something with here. But because <laughs> you know the whole be there, be square sort of thing. Uh, you're here be. and you're queer. No, you're not queer. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe you are. Whatever. You're here and have no fear. Aaron is here. Sweet, no fear. <laughs> 1999. Yeah, I'm all about yep. it. We're all. I'm wearing my no fear hoodie right now. Man, I wish. Yeah, I wish. Right. <laughs> uh, I always. I don't think I owned a single no fear. Uh, piece of clothing but i can tell you i definitely wished i did at different times yeah They're no so kidding cool. those I eyes re- <laughs> yeah <laughs> people put the like big stickers on the back of their trucks yeah. with no fear and <laughs> so cool yeah I, I didn't really have much for name brand clothing back then and that stuff was expensive and yeah. now it's all at value village so maybe i, I should say, bring it back and and i feel like was it 
Was it expensive? Because I feel like I I saw it at the sand store. Did you did you have a sand store? Yeah, we did have sand. I don't know if they had yeah. no fear. Maybe or maybe know. there was some like cheap knockoff of it. That's that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I also lived in a smaller town, so there's people probably, listening uh, right now that are like, "What the hell is sand?" And not only that, <laughs> but it was spelled S A A N, right? Like, you know, it was it was the small town Canadian uh, like discount store. Yeah, of sorts. yeah, like discount, like not like it was a clothing store, say so not a department store, but yeah, like a discount clothing store. Um, I want to say like probably one of their more quote unquote reputable brands I can remember buying from there would have been like Brooks. Remember oh like Brooks yeah, yeah. Shoes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I used to have a really sweet sand shirt. I wish I still had it. Oh man. Like a, like an employee kind of shirt? No, know they... like, well, one that just said like in big red letters said yeah. sand across the front. I think I found it Value Village. I thought it was oh, super man. punk. So yeah, I used it... to wear that all the time. That's awesome. It must have been like a staff shirt. I doubt they. I don't think they had their own brand of clothes. Maybe they did though. I, I wouldn't have been old enough really to pay attention and know better anyway. But yeah, <laughs> uh, feels like a lifetime ago. Man, where's the podcast on these clothing? I don't know. But are you just gonna like completely glaze over my sweet segue pun I just made? Uh, it feels sorry, like a lifetime it. ago. It feels like oh. a lifetime ago that I was in a sand. Well, let's talk about Lifetime. We're going to talk about Lifetime. So, they were they were around back when San was. So yeah, yeah. You, know? you did say I think you said did you say summer of nineteen ninety nine or something like that? When, uh, uh, yeah, that was probably when I was shopping at San. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think when. I, I just want to. Oh, I could look. So the album we're going to talk about. I guess they were technically summer of nineteen ninety nine. They were not currently a band. Oh um, well, they had. They I had, had the early demos. They had, well, no, no, they they had broken up by that point. I mean, oh, I see, um, right, yes, because yeah, they they dropped a couple records and then Jersey's Best Dancers, which we're going to talk about, came out in '97, and then I don't know when they officially broke up. I didn't actually do any sort of prep for this whatsoever, except listen to their music. So, if you recall, um, we used to do shows this way, and then I think like all of last year, we just did interviews. And 350 the, interviews. Yeah, and then the occasional monthly recap of music and stuff like that, new music that had come out. Um, we're going to kind of get back to our, our roots, as it were, and we're going to talk our about... Our punk roots? Our punk roots. Um, we're going to talk Sweet. about a, a couple records from one band, and this is kind of the idea going forward for the time being anyways. We'll cover two records from one band. We'll just discuss them. I suppose maybe in the end we'll we'll decide if which one we like more and if we come to a consensus on that i don't know that's all you know just kind of here there and everywhere i guess but uh so yeah the first band that we're going to get back to this with is the band lifetime i'm looking at my wall here and at one point in time i was writing down bands that we had covered in similar kind of styles some of them went a little more more in depth as in we did it for more than just two albums but like we did mxpx face to face no motive slick shoes dogwood green day the offspring goatee hook and pennywise that's where i stopped writing on my wall oh man though i feel like a long time ago it, it really was those were all i want to say that was more than likely um when we kind of like rebranded as growing up punk those would have been the first it looks like nine episodes. Probably. There might okay. have been inter- they might have been interrupted yeah. with, um, you know, some some interviews uh, and stuff. Interviews or? and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But so anyway, the idea is we will talk about on this episode Jersey's best dancers, and we're going to talk about the self-titled record from Lifetime. 
we've got a couple songs that were picked from each record. You know, if you've listened to the old episodes, you kind of know how it goes. But I guess um, before we get into record specific, do you remember kind of like when you were introduced, when you first heard about Lifetime or heard them? Well, I wanted to say it was in a sandstorm, but that would be a lie. <laughs> you could have, and no one would be able to fact check that. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be sweet? You know, yeah. Lifetime is one of those bands. There's a few others that come to mind. Um, like I, I don't know why Jawbreaker comes to mind. I never yeah. really listened to Jawbreaker, but just those bands that f- feel like they've kind of always been around. I mean, Lifetime took a break for a while, but um, they've been around a long time. You kind of see them as influences of so many other bands, um, yet not a band that I really heard a lot about or knew a lot about or even listened to a whole ton. I don't really know why, mm-hmm. um, kind of until the last number of years. So I really have no idea where I first heard them besides maybe seeing some kind of article or something about a band listing them as an influence. I don't know what band that would have been at the time. But yeah, like I said, one of those bands where you just kind of see and hear about it, but it almost feels like it's like not a band you can actually check out, but it is. So <laughs> Well, and it's interesting <laughs> it's interesting with a lifetime because I think especially with those first few records, you know, what they were building and what they're really known for were like basement shows, right? Like when I hear about the band Lifetime, it's people talking about seeing them in these small basement shows and, you know, everyone's singing along word for word. Now, obviously, you mentioned as an influential band as, you know, they got back together and are, you know, still together. I think they're still together today. Um, They kind of get to play, they play a lot bigger shows now with uh, different, you know, festivals and what what have you. And I think that's kind of interesting because, they for sure are that band where I've heard people talk about almost like in the sense of, um, oh, it's a, t- it's a time and place where you really wanted to be, hmm. like as that scene. I think, and you you mentioned Jawbreaker too, which I think is interesting because both of these bands, um, I think are bands that really were ahead of their time uh, in the sense that, like Jawbreaker did sign to you know a major label and they did have that opportunity, but at the same point, like they were around before emo, before post hardcore mm. really broke into the mainstream with like Jimmy Eat World and you know everything that kind of came after that, right? Same with Lifetime. Like obviously, when they disband after releasing Jersey's Best Dancers, uh, that came out in '97. You know, like emo, post hardcore, melodic hardcore, like that doesn't really blow up until a few years later, right? right. Like I think, I think Lifetime leads you to saves the day which leads you to fallout boy for instance right and like saves the day and fallout boy really reaping the benefits of what lifetime mm, had sure. kind of started building so uh and it is interesting because the self-titled record um by lifetime i don't remember the name of the label but the label that it was released on is actually pete wentz's label oh decadence is that what it's called yeah 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 and uh and they said you know, like in when I don't know, it was probably before the record was coming out or whatever. That Pete Wentz gave them the ability to to make the record they always wanted to make. Oh, that's um, cool. And so, like that, that's that's I guess you could say, uh, kind of a byproduct of what they had been building. Because yeah, by that point in time, Fallout Boy was you know all over the radio and doing you know pretty incredible things for what they were doing. And a lot of that was, you know, you could trace back to Lifetime and then for Pete to say, hey, by the way, I love these guys. I want to give them a bit of a push. So yeah. I don't 
I don't remember specifically when I first heard the band. Like they were a name for sure that was around. And when I see like uh, the artwork, the cover for Lifetime, or even Hello Bastards, the record before, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember seeing those records. Uh, didn't really listen to him until probably I would say within like at least really listened to him within the last five years. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that was from, you know, reading books where, you know, about post hardcore and its growth and whatever, and lifetime being one of those bands that gets, you know, kind of mentioned along the way. Um, so yeah, they're, they're a band that is still, even though, you know, they're, I guess, uh, considered, you know, like an all timer or whatever, like these records, as far as that scene is concerned, there's still a band that's uh, relatively new to me, but one that I was immediately able to kind of latch onto the first time I listened to them. Another thing that stands out as I was listening to these this week is, you know, especially with, um, Jersey's best dancers, um, you know, that album came out when, you know, skate punk and that was, was kind of, a, you know, at its peak or really getting mm. to it with Fat and Epitaph bands. But I never remember this band being kind of a part of the conversation or a part of those tours. And, you know, it's got a little bit different sound, but it's not, you know, that far off. Yeah. So I don't know if it was just like place and time or a whole different scene. Um, but I just thought it was, you know, maybe they just weren't, you know, on, on those labels. So they weren't included. I don't know what it is, but as yeah. I was listening, it's like, I don't know why I didn't really hear this name nearly as much as so many yeah. others. I mean, that that is a good question. Um, I suppose like, I don't know if it, if it goes back to, you know, them having their foot a little more in like the East coast, like hardcore scene more than like the California skate punk scene. Like they're from the East coast. Right. But, but even then, like you have bands like bouncing souls and dropkick Murphy's and stuff like that. H2O that are coming from that side of the country. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was really either. And they do actually sing about on some of the songs on uh, Jersey's best dancers, you know, kind of about how they're, I think there was buzz that was starting to build as far as this band was concerned. Uh, So I think, some of it might have been, you know, a little bit was their own sort of uh, their own doing, maybe their own. I don't know yeah, if, if, if you want to use the phrase self-sabotage at all or like, you know, setting their own like ceiling sort of thing that they were potentially afraid to, you know, kind of break through. I don't I don't know, because um, I think they do kind of cover that a little bit. And I don't know the full history of the band. I would. It is interesting that with how much they get talked about as, you know, you mentioned an influential band and whatever that, um, yeah. What was it? I, I, I think the, the kind of consensus is that they broke up right before they were about to break out. Yeah, it could be. So, um, as, as far as Jersey's best dancers go, when do you remember, like, can, was this sort of the first time you really stepped in and took more of a, um, an intentional listen to it? Yeah, I haven't, yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure when exactly I would have <clears throat> listened to this album first. Like, I, I think the the next album we're going to talk about is, you know, when I started seeing the name around more. And, you know, just in 97, like, I was still young. There was no internet. There mm-hmm. was, yeah. you know, not same access. So, like I said, because it wasn't on a lot of the compilations that I was listening to, um, yeah, I, I have no idea when I would have first kind of dove yeah. into this album. Yeah, it's funny because... 
like this one, I own this and Hello Bastards both on on vinyl. And unfortunately, I don't think they sound that great on vinyl. At least the pressings I have, I'm mm. always a little bit like, ah, I really want to listen to this, but it kind of gets a little crunchy at times. But I think, again, for me, like I said, unless it came, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time I had heard this record. Like coming out in 97, it definitely was right kind of, a, you know, maybe two years, a year or two before I was really starting to, I guess, discover the music I was going to grow to love. Uh, but even then, like when getting into punk and stuff like that, like, you know, obviously we talked about it at length, like that gateway of MXPX and definitely siding more along with you know, like that Fat Rec sound, uh, some of the big Epitaph bands, right? Like those being the bands that I was sort of discovering along the way, uh, whereas this whole world is something I think I've kind of grown to appreciate more as time has gone on. And I'm now, I'm more likely now probably to put on a Lifetime record than I am to put on like a, a, a Good Riddance record even, right? Like something that I grew up on because... I don't know if it's still because, you know, I'm at this age kind of getting to not newly discovered at this point uh, because it's been a few years now, but it is still a lot more fresh to me, right? Right. So let's get into uh, let's get into Jersey's Best Dancers what? then. Oh, wait. Any thoughts on the artwork? That's right. I was going to say, I guess before we get into the songs, the artwork. I, I did want to ask because I know, I know how much you love talking about with artists talking about artwork and stuff, so I thought we could kind of throw this element into into the show the artwork for me is pretty iconic um like i mentioned with this and with the record that came before it hello bastards like they were they were records that i had seen uh out there and and remembered just that photo on the front of the band and like kind of the the sun flare burnout overexposed i don't even know how to describe it but it's always been one that that definitely stood out to me and i i wouldn't be surprised if on this one, I'm curious if they, if they're referencing, I don't know if they're referencing something else by this artwork. Um, yeah, like wanna... it's just a, like a picture of them in a, like a restaurant or a bar or something or what? Like yeah, it's... but even the layout, cause I think maybe it's on Hello Bastards, they're referencing something, uh, or if it's, if it's been refer, I forget, but I wanted to look to see if there was anything that came up. But I feel like there's something with with some of their artwork that either it has been referenced or it is referencing something else. But I wouldn't be surprised if this record, this cover, has been referenced, you know, numerous times over. I do For think sure. it's pretty pretty classic. But um, so yeah, with that, let's get into. So how we're gonna do this for songs is with records. We're we're gonna talk about the openers because I think openers are pretty important. Um, and to be clear, when it comes to, you know, some albums that have an opener that's like a one-minute intro sort of thing, it's not really going to count. <laughs> we may listen to, the uh, uh, you know, a one-minute intro back-to-back with a song if we come across anything like that. Right, but, yeah. in the, you know, that first real song, we're going to talk about openers. And then um, I've picked two songs that I really like off of Jersey's Best Dancers. And then when it comes to self-titled, you pick two songs plus the opener off that record. So let's get into the first one, the opener on Jersey's Best Dancers. Is a song called Turnpike Gates. In order for you to play with this record, we must tune your guitar to ours. We will start with the first string. <laughs> we will drag ourselves up 
drums come in at the end dak, dak. um i always love the the little clip at the beginning i'm curious as to what that came off of it sounds like it's like an old like record or whatever that's teaching someone how to play guitar <laughs> yeah well yeah. Uh, again fits right with that with that era there was tons of bands doing that kind of yeah. stuff yeah yeah and it's they sample it later in the record again as well um where he talks about tuning the bass strings is what it is uh but as far as an opener is concerned, I love that it, it like it it really just kind of jumps into it. Um, it's interesting because I don't think it has a super hooky chorus. In fact, I don't know if the way that song goes, I would have really been able to point out the chorus without looking at the lyrics. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because there's not re- I don't think there's re- any real separation. I will say this: the bridge uh, every time I hear it reminds me of the Ataris. I don't know if you uh, hear that in there or not, but there's I something, to, and I'd, I'd have to look and see which, because it's like a specific song it reminds me of. Um, so I'd have to actually go and look at it. But every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm listening to the Ataris all of a sudden. And then I do love kind of the outro of that song and that last line. Um, what does he say exactly? If you want me, just call out, hey, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of well, a funny easy. little, if you want me, yeah. just call out, hey, yeah. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, great opener, good energy. I like how the the second half kind of goes to the halftime, and yeah, it's uh, yeah, and I, you know, when I when I listen to this band, I mean, one of the things that stands out is definitely the vocals, and maybe mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, maybe it didn't stand out as much, even if I had have heard it. Like it's it's definitely not as uh, melodic vocally as right. a lot of the bands from back then. You know, if you think of like. No use for a name, and some of those where it was like very kind of uh, not croony, but um, mm. kind of like smoother. Where this definitely comes from a different place, and you know, like sometimes it's kind of like off key or off time, where like the the vocals or the patterns don't necessarily match the music as you might expect. Which is what why I think they kind of stand out. It gives a little bit different yeah. feel to it, and you know, a little bit more rawness, I guess, but. I definitely think that they kind of, even though they for sure introduce melody into their music, I do feel that they kind of lean a little bit more into like the hardcore world. 
Um, and I and I think that's one of the things that comes up a fair bit when talking about this band, as far as like influencing other bands, is they were not afraid to write songs about girls, mm-hmm. right? Like, and you know, a good chunk of their songs I think end up being about you know, kind of maybe stuff that's more in line with being in a pop punk band, um, as opposed to you know a hardcore melodic hardcore band. But I don't know. Um, this song definitely always like. The thing I love about it is you immediately know what record you're listening to, not because it says anything, but it's just got a memorable intro and a good first song. Yeah. You know, there, there's no doubt in my mind when it comes on where I go, wait, which Lifetime record am I listening to? You just know, right? Um, the next song that I picked uh, is actually the second song on the record, and it's called Young, Loud, and Scotty. <laughs> pinpoint what uh, record or what song that last riff reminds me of definitely has a familiarity to it also the last line in that song is dave's all right he's doing fine and i am doing fine <laughs> I how am. thought how thoughtful <laughs> yeah the song definitely has a little a bit more you know dynamic musically a bit more start stopping you know going yep. to the kind of the four on the floor floor toms later in the song and um yeah and it's and i like that about them it's not you know, there's a bit more movement than some of the bands we, you know, cited before that were just kind of just that classic punk beat from start to finish. And these mm-hmm. guys do have some songs like that, but I do find that they're able to kind of add some of those other elements in. And then the vocals just kind of just kind of do its own thing, I guess. Again, back to the vocals, like it's they don't always kind of go with the part as much. Like it's not right. as clean cut. Which again kind of has that hardcore feel to it. It's like the singer just kind of goes for it, you know. He's like, there seems to be a lot more words and phrasing than than typical kind of skate punk or whatever. But um, just yeah, some different nuances. 
And I think it's it's interesting listening to this band if because you can hear a vocal progression from one record to the next. Like the progression from Hello Bastards to Jersey's Best Dancers for me is like, oh, he's definitely getting more clear in his delivery. Okay. But even listening to this now, it's like, I don't know if I'd know what he's saying without necessarily looking at the lyrics. You know, a, a lot of it kind of really gets um, jumbled garbled i don't know how to like say it but like there's he he definitely has a snot in his voice right yeah. like without it being like that whiny nasally sort of that you know like kind of punk can be known for um right it's just a lot more attitude and snottiness i think in his voice that comes across uh but yeah as the records progress i find his vocals get more and more clear and he's kind of doing more singing and less he's i guess sh melodic shouting <laughs> Yeah. Maybe is maybe is the phrase because he's not really yelling, um, but yeah, it's it is it is interesting. But um, yeah, the the those first two songs together, I think I do find it weird because I mentioned the drums at the end of Turnpike Gates that like just the snare shots that come in, they feel like they should be setting up the next song, but then they just. Like, don't really yeah. like it, it's like he's counting on the snare and may, maybe it's in time. I don't know. It just feels like, oh, you're going to get hit with something big. But how the song actually starts is Paul muted guitars and a melodic riff going over top of it. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of and then, you know, kind of like a, a tom beat or whatever. So it's a little bit weird, that transition. And I don't know what the you know what the purpose was behind that. But um, regardless, to open up the record with those two songs, I think it hooks me in every time. No, no questions asked. Like I'm, I mean, it's not a long record. Obviously, these are short songs. Yeah, um, yeah, which, like, which I like too. Yeah, like the longest song we're gonna play today is two minutes and forty five seconds. So <laughs> they are to the point. Um, and having said that, speaking of to the point, the next song we're actually gonna listen to is the shortest song of the episode at a minute and twenty eight seconds. Uh, and this song, I sort of referenced a little bit earlier uh, in saying some of the stuff they're singing about on this record, but this is the song, How We Are. You know, I wanted to play that song because I think it does showcase uh, that more, for sure, like hardcore kind of leaning sound that they got, melodic hardcore. Also, the line that he says in there, 
and I heard you got us figured out, and now there's talk about the band, but we don't hear because we don't care. It's how we are. Kind of, And he's talking about, you know, playing to small crowds, playing to only 23 people, but they don't care. They're just going to go out and and give it their all and play. And whether or not, you know, there's talk about the band as if they're about Mm. to break, they're not really interested in that, right? But... um, but yeah, they, there's a couple songs in a row there on the record that really kind of lean into that short, sweet, fast, and to the point feeling that they've got. Yeah, yeah, not much else to to add on that, but yep. I love bands that sing about playing shows too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I wonder with, you know, again, because we have so much context that it's, you know, this many years after this, Mm-hmm. Like maybe in my mind they were always kind of seemed bigger than they were because they were cited as an influence, but right, yeah, yeah. maybe they were pretty small and kind of meaningless yeah. at the time, so to speak. Yeah, like it as as mentioned, it kind of feels like one of those bands where the right people were in the room when they were doing their thing that then went on to form bands, right? Right, like um, they played to you know whether it's. Um, Chris Conley of Saves the Day or like Jeff Rickley of Thursday or stuff like that. Like those people were in the room at some of these shows and it just changed their lives. You know, Adam Lazara of Taking Back Sunday. Like I think a lot of those bands, you know, the New Jersey, Long Island area bands were really, that's where, you know, most of that influence was really felt and seen, I think. But yeah, um, and, and it's it's cool to think about bands like that for even us, you know, especially being yeah. Canadian, like, there for sure were bands that came to our small town that, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind were, you know, like amazing and super big. And, and some of them did go on to do bigger things. Like when I think about like Belvedere, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're still going and, you know, a nationwide touring act. But there was lots. Like even when I think of the band Gob, you know, yeah. who again, they got a bit more. But, you know, they never got to be a massive band, but they seemed, you know, to guys like me when their earlier albums came out, like yeah. pretty influential. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just the power of music. It just takes the right person to hear whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, like, I, and I, I think it's it's definitely one of the, I guess, romantic aspects of the band, maybe, or this period of the band is very much that, you know, thinking about, in this song, he says 23 people, like 23 people in a room seeing this band, all singing along, and that's that that's all that's there, right? Like, it's not, you know, oh... Remember when, you know, Hendrix played, uh, you know, the national anthem at Woodstock? It is like this massive music moment where, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were in person. No, this is like a small moment where this probably meant everything or damn near everything to these people in the room that were a part of this and getting to see this, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's something, like I said, kind of romantic, kind of cool about that. Uh, they for sure probably felt very much like and and maybe this was because you know when you had bands like you know if we go back in the lineage bands like green day and bad religion and jawbreaker who you mentioned and you know these bands that were playing to those small crowds who built their audience who all of a sudden were playing to thousands of people on major labels and all over the radio right like so and and i know a lot of bands kind of got you know, um, were resented or, you know, the, 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 ha- the, the word sellout gets thrown around or whatever. Right. Like, and so I, I think people tend to cling to those bands that are quote unquote their own. Uh, right. and so, yeah. so I, I think that plays a big part. And so it is, I don't know. 
I just think it's kind of neat to look back on that as an outsider, as it were, as someone who wasn't there and kind of go, man, what was that like? That's pretty cool, you know? But you got you got a number of bands who can tell those stories as to what it was like. So let's get into um, the next album, which is their self-titled album, which came out 10 years after Jersey's Best Dancers. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, when was kind of the first time you got into this record? Yeah, it's kind of similar to the first one. I don't remember exactly when, um, but this one is definitely more familiar. You know, as I've been listening to it, it's like, okay, I, I do remember this being played. You know, maybe it was in somebody's vehicle or whatever it was, maybe at a show or something. Like, I recognize the songs, but um, yeah, again, for whatever reason, it wasn't like an album that I knew anybody kind of freaking out about or, you know, constantly talking about. So, um, yeah, I. No, no specific memory with it. Again, the artwork, um, like it stands out as kind of iconic, but for weird reasons, similar to the right. first one, it's not really of anything. Yeah, um, <laughs> which it's is, I mean, you know, it is funny because looking at at the artwork in my little window here, they're laid out the exact same way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like yeah, they've yeah. got they've got the top yeah. border that's like going across about you know maybe a third of the way down it covers, yeah. and then this main picture. Um, that's kind of interesting a little bit to me. It is a little like, it's not quite a straight line across, but this, the artwork I think for this record is a little bit disappointing for me. Maybe, maybe because though Jersey's best dancers and hello bastards are kind of iconic, uh, you know, album covers, whereas this one is a little less. So, um, this is a record that I was around for the release of, but didn't actually listen. Get this. I didn't listen to this record really until we were prepping for this episode. Wow. <laughs> I had kind of played that in my head. I was like, well, hello bastards and Jersey's best dancers. Those are like the important ones, right? Like those are the ones that everyone talks about. And so that's just what I'd go back and listen to. Not really thinking much about this self-titled record, but I will say this in listening to it, it was probably the one that I went back to more yeah. in, uh, you know, listening to these records, getting ready for the episode. And I think part of that is because of, as I mentioned earlier, like you can hear his vocals kind of get clearer and better as each record progresses. Right. And so this one just obviously showed a more experienced uh, vocalist who I can understand the words a lot more. And I feel like maybe there's a little more pop hooks, pop punk kind of melodies going on yeah. here that like get stuck earworm earworms that get stuck in your head a little more. Um, but yeah, I hadn't actually ever listened to it until, until uh, we were, well, that's probably a lie. I'm sure I did, but I never really listened to it until we were getting ready for this episode. So um, should we get into the opener? Yeah, well, let's do All it. Right. Well, let's get into the opener. Uh, the song is called Northbound Breakdown.
I think they definitely um, kind of embraced more traditional song structure. I was just thinking that, the same thing. <laughs> that song specifically, right? Like, it is very obvious your verse to your chorus to your verse to your chorus to your bridge slash outro sort of thing and it's all the better for it i think like when that chorus kicks in i hope you're in your car right now turning this shit up so loud like yeah i am every time you know i'm singing at the top of my lungs it is cranked up because um as i mentioned it's earwormy it's hooky it's right there and it's anthemic it's almost too bad this album came out when it did because 2007 was a lot more emo screamo kind of scene um i feel like this album would have got a lot more attention had it been you know a little bit earlier right um so yeah i'm not really sure you know if this one was as influential for their bands or not Mm. but yeah the production value definitely upped i was just looking up who uh, recorded this one it was steve evitz um who kind of goes alongside brian mcturnan with you know Mm. producing a lot of um, these types of albums from from that period of time and yeah um, yeah I, I, I don't know if these guys were still doing anything in between these albums for ten years um, yeah, I don't know but they seem like they they still have it and um, so yeah that's cool that they can be that much of a break but come back with you know better songs better sounds more structure and um, yeah I'm not I'm not sure if they it's you know. it, yeah it's interesting that you mentioned like the you know because like at this time the emo and screamo you know post-hardcore sort of bands that were doing their thing because those are the bands i think that were influenced by lifetime right right? like so and and the fact that pete wentz was the guy behind you know kind of putting this record out i think says a lot about who they were or what they were to the scene at that time but and i'm sure though for you know because like i mean this record would have come out before i was really aware or into you know discovering these kind of bands that influenced my favorite bands right yeah um whereas like now i'd be curious if you know there was a band that was out there like let's let's say this album never existed and i'm aware of lifetime in their in their time and they come around all of a sudden they're like oh they're back together and putting out i might you know i i may have been on board with listening to that record and being excited for the release. Whereas like when this one came out, I wasn't aware of who they were. Right. Like outside of, like I said, you know, like maybe hearing their name thrown around by people, but I'd never actually really listened to them. Yeah. So it it is, I wonder how it did for those people that were, I don't want to use the phrase music nerds, but like, that's kind of, I think what like it would have been if that like just, that, that maybe that's the wrong phrase, but people who are into discovering the bands that influenced other bands and then getting on board, if that makes sense, right? Like, yeah. that's what my 30s have been all about. It's like, who were the bands that helped form the bands that I loved growing up is more what my life has been about for the past eight years than, you know, anything else. Yeah, no, that's sweet. Yeah, the next song that I picked is, is also track two as uh, the first album. Uh, this is the song that, I don't know if it was on a comp or a mix it or whatever it was, but this is the song that when I hear it, it's like, oh, this is Lifetime. And when I think of Lifetime, mm-hmm. I think of this song. And uh, yeah, again, touching on this album just having more hooks and being a bit more melodic and catchy. And, and this song has more of that. So this is Airport Monday Morning. Goodbye, to you said, right. it's the last time, the last time you can't be sure 
you ever watch The O.C.? Yes, I did. <laughs> so that song just reminds me of the scene. I guess it's season one or is it season two? Anyway, when do you remember Anna, the character Anna? Yes. The like short blonde haired girl or yep. girl with short blonde. When she leaves, because she, like, she leaves, she's at the airport and Seth is all like, oh, but don't leave. I love you. And that's what that song reminds me of because it's just two people who can't say goodbye to each other uh, at the airport <laughs> uh too bad they didn't play this song on that show right yeah would have given it a very i'm i'm curious what song was because sh- i'm sure there was some emotionally charged song that was playing during that scene i'd have to go back and look but it would give it a very different feel had they played that song <laughs> yeah but i love the ending of that song too how it just kind of yeah. it's not a breakdown but it just kind of breaks down a little bit yeah um and it also man like a song like that i'm listening and it's kind of driving me crazy because it's like it just like reminds me of so many bands, but I don't really know which ones. I'm trying to think like, right. <laughs> you know, and maybe it's just bits and pieces and and things. But man, I just love that she's got to go par, like just the chunky guitars and yeah. you know, it's just kind of crisp production and yeah, catchy oh, song. It is. It, it was a song that had we not picked the songs the way we picked them, where I picked from one album, you picked from the other. If we were each picking songs from each album, I was going to pick this one. Yeah, uh, if you hadn't picked it, but. Um, and the first, the first time I noticed what the song title was airport Monday morning, I was at an airport on a Monday morning. So oh, I thought that was man, also that. very, very fitting. But speaking of the, the different parts that remind you of different songs, I was going to make a joke about when it breaks down before that bridge or third verse, I guess. Uh, and it's just cuts to the bass playing like the eighth notes or whatever. Yeah. I was going to make, I was going to make a joke about who do they think they are? Blink 182. Not that Blink is the only band to have ever done that, but I feel like they definitely rely on that trope a little bit, but <laughs> um, cool. no, it's, I, I hear what you're saying in that it's, it's kind of got those elements that, you know, you can hear other bands and maybe that's just hearing the other bands they influenced um, or what, I don't know, but, uh, it's such a killer song. And I love that, you know, much like, um, Northbound Breakdown is that it embraces that traditional songwriting structure, but I also love that it's just so straightforward. There is yeah. no, there's no like real lead riff or anything or like, yeah, an I was thinking like of that too. it's just gone right. And after that first verse or first chorus, there is no like inter, you know, uh, instrumental section. It's just straight into the second verse and it's just, I don't know. It's. It's pretty great. The only thing that really pulls it apart is that little bass breakdown. <laughs> That's the only like real, um, I guess, like turn in the song or whatever. But it is such a great song. Great song. So um, the last song that you picked is uh, another one that just gets stuck in my head every time I hear it. And it's the song Can't Think About It Now. <laughs>
so we spoke so much about traditional song structures and then there's that song which i think uh flips the script a little bit i don't know what the chorus is on that song and what the verse is and it almost seems halfway through the song to be like all right here's a whole new different idea yeah that's partially why i picked this one because it just felt like it stood out at sounding a bit different i mean it's a bit more mid-tempo than than fast pace but yeah still i mean i just love that that's so many words i like to say like the the harmony in there is really cool Mm -hmm. and again it's just like man like what bands does this remind me of but um i just yeah i love the feel the feel of that song that's this is funny because when you say what bands does this remind me of from the first time I heard this song, it reminded me of a band, but it's not going to be one you expect. Uh, it reminds me of Elvis Costello and uh, the Attractions. And I don't know why it's something, I mean, specifically it's Elvis Costello it reminds me of, I think in his phrasing uh, on some of the lines, say like where he sings, uh, uh, where is it? Uh, Always behind on the latest devices. Uh, panic in the office record label crisis like how he's singing those lines and even like the content of those lyrics reminds me a lot of elvis costello um, which i know he influenced a number of like pop punk bands over the years with with some of his early records especially but i don't know if that was an influence on lifetime or not but it definitely gives me those vibes and i'm all for it because as far as like older music you know from the 70s and stuff is concerned elvis costello is definitely up there for me um but yeah this song and i do like how it kind of builds on itself right like yeah you've got the first half of the song and it's not like in the second half that it abandons you know uh ideas that were built in the first half because it does go back to that i'm so tired i can't sleep a wink line like it kind of keeps coming back so maybe that's the chorus uh even though the way it's delivered in the first half of the song definitely feels more verse like but i don't know it's kind of it's kind of neat i like how it does build upon itself and is sort of always evolving yeah yeah man I, i'm just excited to to kind of listen to this this album even more now and uh dive even fuller into it i've yeah, yeah. i've, I've yeah. really enjoyed this i think it's safe to say that for our next episode when we are back next uh we'll probably cover a band that was influenced by this band i think that makes the most amount of sense yeah let's do it <laughs> so you'll have to tune in to find out what that is but that will wrap it up for this episode i think oh no we do have to pick okay so you gotta if you were to pick jersey's best dancers or the self-titled record what are you going with yeah i'm definitely going with self-titled just mm-hmm. because it sounds a bit better i know it a little bit more sounds a little bit newer um yeah really catchy going with I'm, that i think i'd agree i might go with uh the self-titled record but with jersey's best dancers uh as the title and the and the cover art (laughs) yeah yeah that's true (laughs) um anyway that'll that'll do it go follow us on social media at growing punk pod you'll find our personal instagrams and twitter's link there uh and uh yeah tell your friends about the show all that fun stuff but as for me and my friend aaron my friend aaron and myself that'll do it so uh goodbye see ya